join us in the dustiest corners of the video store, the back row of the grindhouse, the furthest regions of celluloid. This is Video Store Nightmares. Hello and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the edible films of the VHS era. Tonight, we're talking about the 1968 psychosexual British thriller, Twisted Nerve. My name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland. Listeners, as of this broadcast, you can find 1968's Twisted Nerve streaming on YouTube. And if it ever happens to fall off the planet from YouTube, also archive.org. Luke, this is the longest movie we have ever covered for this podcast. It, it is very long. Did you think it was too long? If, if the subject matter, if the premise wasn't so fucking out there, I would have said yes. But there is so much emphasis on the setup for this film that I feel like it's okay. It passes. I was never bored watching this. This was my this was my second or third viewing and I felt like it needed to lose about 30 minutes. It not necessarily all in one place but just trimmed here and there. And in some ways that might have made it a lesser film, I'm not sure, but it could have used some some faster pacing, I think. I could see it. Uh, this is kind of the the kind of movie where you watch it one time and then once you know the mystery, once you know where it's going, the mystique is gone. And so maybe you just don't get as much out of a repeat viewing. Because you know, for me anyway, a big part of watching this film was trying to piece together the main character's motivations and honestly, end goal. I had no idea what this guy was trying to do the entire time. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's the the essence of the movie. And I definitely feel the same way. And this time watching it, like, I didn't remember the details of the ending. So there was still some suspense. But I found I really didn't care very much what happened this is one of those movies where the enjoyment for me is not in wondering what's going to happen and feeling suspense for the characters it's just to observe what this movie's doing like where this movie's going does that distinction make sense yeah and i'm on the same page this is a train ride and you just want you just don't know where the stop is going to be yeah so i think the only like there's really no one of note to talk about for this movie. The director, Roy Bolting, I don't think I've seen any of his other films, but it sounds like he just did a lot of British crime or war movies, um, sort of mainstream, low budget fare, maybe. And then the writers were him, a guy named Roger Marshall who it looks like mostly worked on British TV shows. 
And then the real, I think, influence behind the movie has to be Leo Marx, who is best known for writing Peeping Tom, which is a, another movie very similar to this one. How similar are we talking about? I'd just say the, the tone and the mood and the themes are similar. It's not like a, it, the plot isn't the same, but we do have another case of a troubled or disturbed young man who is doing questionable things. <laughs> questionable, yes. Not, not only morally, but tastefully. What does that mean? Do we, do we want to let the cat out of the bag now or do we want to wait till later? Oh, I'm not sure what cat you're talking about, so let's wait. Okay. I, I wanna I do want to mention that in the credits, there is, you know, writing credits, you know, screenplay, blah and blah. But then it specifically credits one guy with having the idea. One guy thought of this. And then it took two other people to realize the script. Well, what do you think the like what do you think the core idea was? Before they started fleshing out this story, what kind of story do you think they wanted to tell? Boy sees girl from across a street or something, and they're both strangers, and he has to think about having a way that makes their lives, even if even if just briefly, intersect. So, you know, maybe guy just walks on the different side of the street the same day, maybe tries to run into her, maybe tries to like start up a conversation, something like that, just to try to get that interaction. See how that goes, right? Yeah. It's that, but taken to an absurd degree, like doing it the worst possible way. <laughs> I am curious to talk about after the trailer, how much of you, how much of this you think is pre-planned versus how much is improv improvisational, but we'll get there. I do want to talk about the, the music which I think is the best element or the most influential element of the entire movie. Uh, it was composed by Bernard Herrmann, who, I mean, composed lots of scores for Alfred Hitchcock, for some of, you know, famous science, science fiction movies in the United States, like The Day the Earth Stood Still. He did vertigo more most famously he was he was the psycho composer so we're dealing with like a master composer here what do you think of the music the music was okay i mean isn't this movie just notorious because quentin tarantino ripped it off or homaged it or whatever you want to call it quentin tarantino did lift the theme that we hear over the opening credits uh for kill bill it's the, the tune that Daryl Hannah's character whistles as she's walking through the hospital. And I mean, it became iconic for that. After that, you heard it in commercials and, you know, other movies that are, were uh, parodying or poking fun at or paying homage to Pulp Fiction or to Kill Bill. I mean, but I think the, the score is great and enough. It's, uh, you know, just by itself, you, you get the, um, you get that main theme, but then it's just like phantasm where there are variations of that theme in different keys and different tempos woven through different parts of the movie. And we even have a part where it becomes kind of like disco-ish or, or rockish when they're out dancing. I really like when movies do that. 
Yeah, I remember your penchant for this sort of thing um, when we were discussing Phantasm. It was if there was other music, I do not remember it, but I certainly remember like the seven variations on the whistling theme, which is great. I like I do also like the disco one. I want people to hear a bit of the music, so hopefully it's in the trailer. Let's play the trailer, and then we can start talking about the characters and their their wild um, motivations. Don't scream. Hello, Georgie. Sur- surprised you, didn't I? I'd like to know what he does up there, day after day with a door locked. Please, it's Enid. He's not normal. He should have seen that psychiatrist when I wanted him to. No, Georgie. Why not? Tell me, why not? I can't. I tell you, I can't. Got you down here. Got you! <laughs> and how about that? Now, watch your step. This chap's a nutter. He's a perfectly normal, healthy boy. <laughs> Georgie, then. Georgie. No! You're going to kill me anyway. Who's it, Georgie? Hmm? Who's it, this Martin? I wonder if it's anything to do with that murder. Take your filthy hands off me! the first time i've ever seen a chromosome in a trailer <laughs> well yes there's a very controversial focus on chromosomes in this movie this movie was incredibly controversial for its implications or uh, insinuations about links between mongolism and uh, psych uh, psychosis i suppose what what do you think of the psychology here? You know, the movie you're about to watch is going to be wild when there is a public announcement message at the beginning telling you that there is no scientific basis for the premise, the film's premise that you're about to view. Ladies and gentlemen, in view of the controversy already aroused, the producers of this film wish to reemphasize what is already stated in the film. 
that there is no established scientific connection between Mongolism and psychotic or criminal behavior. So Mongolism in, in this case is Down syndrome. Yes, I believe it was the actual medical term at the time. The only other film I've seen with something like this was um, a movie from 1974 called Corpse Eaters, where a similar uh, serious sounding man, not British, um, comes up in the beginning of the film and says that this movie has some disturbing imagery. And before we show it on screen, you will see this image. And it's like a businessman uh, about to vomit. <laughs> yeah. See this image if you do not want to witness the horror turn away <laughs> yeah i'm pretty sure in the corpse eaters was doing it as a joke i think they were um doing like a humorous take on what william castle used to do he used to do things like hand out vomit bags or have nurses on standby at the theater to you know revive people who were uh going to pass out or faint at the movie's contents and i think it was their way of poking fun here, it was actually because Roy Bolting, the director and one of the writers, received so many letters of complaint and so many attempts to censor the film before it came out. And uh, I didn't do a lot of research on this, but apparently he was like really taken aback by it. He said he was the, the complaints caused him shock and surprise and a deep sense of regret and depression. And that's when they added the, the warning at the beginning. That intro is so unapologetically British, the way it's worded. <laughs> this is a very British movie. In fact, I think I probably miss some of the nuances of this movie because I'm not British. We are definitely no strangers to international cinema, but uh, it, it feels like British cinema in general does have a lot of nuance, especially um, in my experience, a lot of historical nuance, where if you, do, or if you are not familiar with certain aspects of European history, uh, parts of the film, of, of a film, can just go right over your head. At the same time, like, how do I want to word this? Do so. Let let's do this. Let's. I'm going to briefly describe the scenario presented in this movie because I think it's necessary to understand why this movie's implications are controversial. So we've got our main character Martin, who's basically like a spoiled, uh, rich kid. Who, by the way, I think his name inspired George Romero when he made his vampire movie, Martin, the two characters are very similar in their psychologies and their behavior. So I'm pretty sure that movie is an homage to this one, but I'm not sure. Anyway, Martin adopts a childlike persona named Georgie to befriend this woman, this young woman. He insinuates himself into their household where he lives as a paying guest. They believe that his father, who is his caretaker, is in Paris. Meanwhile, Martin's real mother and stepfather believe that he's in Paris because they've kicked him out of the home for not getting a job. He then goes on to murder various people. 
And meanwhile, there are occasional glimpses of uh, medical lectures about malformed chromosomes and how they can lead to mental illness. And we know that Martin has a brother with Down syndrome who lives in a special facility and seems to be sort of an, an embarrassment for the family who wants to keep him hidden away. What Did you find this offensive or nonsensical or um, brilliant? Like, what did you think of this, this scenario? This is so on topic with the, you know, the recent developments in Great Britain at the moment. The, as of this recording, uh, the Queen has uh, passed for, what, two days now? And, yes. uh, you know, she had two royal relatives that were um, afflicted in much the same way as the character we're talking about. Well, not exactly, right? You know, they had Down syndrome or something along those lines. And the royal family just hid them away in facilities to out of the public eye, and did not did not um, give them any sort of recognition at all. Um, and in this film, we never see uh, Martin's brother. No, not after the very, very beginning. Is that his brother in the beginning? Yeah, that he's throwing ball with. I figured he was just throwing a ball with uh, just some random kid out there. He was actually visiting his brother. Yeah, that's his brother. And then we see him talking with his brother's doctor afterwards, who says that he doesn't have very long to live. All right. And that's when he drops the cup. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on the one hand, I can see how you might think this movie was grossly offensive. It's basically just using an, a brother with Down syndrome as a plot device that is then never developed or seen again just to insinuate that there is a connection between Down syndrome and psychotic behavior. That does seem, you could read that as really offensive and objectifying. On the other hand, you could see it as just, this is a bizarre segue for the film. This is like a whole side plot that's never paid attention to be again, but that we know throughout the rest of the movie is somehow playing into the main character's behavior, like his psyche. This movie does insinuate that Martin is does have some sort of chromosomal uh, disorder, but through a stroke of luck, managed to avoid... The, the the physical impairments that's normally seen. So he looks like an otherwise like normal British early 20s guy. But because he doesn't have that, that stigma, that visual stigma, he is more easily able to flow in and out of regular society. Yeah, at one point, the, the lecturer talking about chromosome abnormalities says that often in the case of mongolism a sibling will not have mongolism but will have some other form of psychosis which i think is medically bullshit but that is the <laughs> that is the insinuation of the movie that maybe since martin's brother has mongolism he has some psychosis uh, you know, see, I took it as Martin just won the genetic lottery on some front. 
by managing to avoid looking like his brother, but was otherwise afflicted with all the same issues. Well, see, I don't. So when Martin is acting like Georgie, do you think that he's being authentic or is it all fake? So I think he's generally pretending, but because of his biological predicament and his experience with the visiting his brother in the hospital, he is able to pull off this persona extremely convincingly, or at least the scriptwriters want us to believe that. Yeah. At the beginning of the movie, I thought he was just faking. I thought that it was all a ploy to get close to Susan, right? But then later on in the movie, it almost seems like a, an alternative personality. And at one point, he even shoots himself in the mirror and says, there, now I've killed Martin. It's just Georgie now. Like, I think this develops into a real alternative personality, even if that's not how it started. Yeah, there's not an elaboration here on the script, so you're left to your own devices to figure out exactly what Georgie's problem be outside of the fact that his uh, his chromosomes are a, a fucking puddle, according to the doctor. All right. So let's talk about how he and Susan meet. He is in a toy store. Do you think he followed her into the toy store, or do you think he's seeing her in the toy store for the first time? I think he sees her in this toy store for the first time, but I so, don't necessarily think he was trying to set up a a meeting, but it's possible because what he does after seeing her is quite potentially the worst shoplifting attempt in history. And so, I can imagine that his that this crime is just so egregiously bad, like blatantly not hidden that he wanted to be caught and maybe somehow implicate her in the process. Yeah, I think that was planned. I think him shoplifting the duck and standing close to her so that they'd think they were together. I think that was intentional. But I don't know where or when he decided to adopt the Georgie persona. And I don't know why he was in the toy store to begin with. Do we really need a reason? We know this guy's really... Not right. Well, that's what makes me think maybe he followed her in. But we're not shown that. Yeah, we're not shown that. So anyway, this is how they meet. And when the when the security guard starts to question him, he adopts the Georgie persona for the first time. And so Susan comes to believe that he is she calls him um, backwards. Did you think her reaction here was believable like and the way it you know the ball starts rolling forward you know at no point that i really consider whether any of this was believable I, I mean we're talking about a guy who's faking being what's the pc term for this simple they might just say neurodivergent now ne neurodivergent yeah I feel like neurodivergence used for a lot of things way more minor than what's going through uh, Georgie's head right now. Yeah, I really don't know. Extra neurodivergent? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, let's stress that he's not, he's not, he's playing a part, I think. 
So this is his version of what a person who was, quote, backwards would behave like. And everyone else buys it hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, I mean, would you, though? Like, do you think this is believable? Even if you didn't believe it, would you have the cojones to call it out? Like, imagine calling it out and being wrong. How much of a dick would you look like? Well, so, like, the Susan's mother, who eventually rents him a room, when he first comes there, she's the one who says... No, he cannot stay. This situation is weird. It's inappropriate. She's giving him sidelong glances. Like she's very uncomfortable with him. And eventually she changes her tune. But that initial reaction, that's how I think everyone would react to this guy. I think his performance is very good, but I don't think he comes across as convincingly innocent. Let's put it that way. He doesn't seem to have the naivete that he would need. I suppose his body language isn't really on par with someone who would actually be afflicted with this kind of an issue. And I, I think the issue, the, the problem is that this man is like well manicured, well put together. He takes care of himself. And then he just happens to be off, off mentally. But I feel like when you're off that much, actually off that much, there are so many other things in your life that just, you know, go downhill with that. And we don't see any of those things. Yeah, a few times I think he's trying to pass it off that way. Like he he leaves his tie undone one time. And so Susan has to fix it for him. And it, there's a few times where he like, pretends he's helpless but it's just once in a while it's not often but maybe that's part of it right like if he looked like his brother he would not have gotten anywhere near this far in the script right like they would have just kicked him out of the house but because he's like this charming well, i mean according to the script like you know charming early 20s you know young adult prime of his life if People tend to be a little bit more accepting because he has just that little bit more charisma. Well, his stepdad is not convinced by any of it. Like, he sees through it right away. Can we play the scene where he tells him that he's going to have to go to Australia? Imagine being kicked out of your house, but you're sent to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and that there's his history, right, in England of sending people to Australia. So I don't know how much the movie was um, calling back to that. But I want I want to set up this scene is the room is very ornate. It's very like, um, you know, fancy man, fancy with uh, with this big red leather chair. It's beautiful. And Martin, like kind of curls up in it or lays sideways on it and it's sort of askew in the room and when i'm bringing it up because i think this shot is beautifully composed like i love the image and the way martin is in the image it immediately establishes that he is not a part of sort of the orderly world that's represented around him where like even the the chair has to be crooked i don't think it's ever explained how his mother and his stepfather met but i get the impression that whoever martin's real father be 
was probably um, just like a regular schmo, right? Like, yeah. And then his mother marries into money because this guy obviously lives a very opulent lifestyle. His house is big. I mean, it's a soundstage, but it's big. And uh, I'm like looking at this railing right now for, for the fucking staircase. And it's like so ornate. It looks like hard to dust. That's how you know you're in an expensive house when everything looks like a fucking nightmare to dust. The, the mother, I think, ver- cares very much about external appearances. There is a point where she kind of suggests that she knows there's something wrong with Martin, but he appeared normal and that's what mattered. And I think that's why she just wants to pretend the older brother, the brother with Down syndrome doesn't exist because he mars her like fantasy life. So now that you have a better idea of what this family dynamic be, let's see how uh, the stepfather decides to send his kid to Australia. Come in, lad, sit down. I've good news for you. They're off to Australia, Perth, in about three weeks' time. Right. Yes, I've spoken to our people. They fixed a job for you. Sheep farming. Well, what you make of the job is up to you. I see. Everything's settled then, is it? Yes. Air ticket, passport. Your permit will be through in a few days' time. Oh, you'll need clothes, of course, but get them out there. I'll pay. And Mum? She heard the good news? She has. Upset? Buckets of tears? She's upset, of course, but she agrees. Of course. Always upset. Always agrees. I want none of that. This is for your good. Mine. Not yours. Or hers. Martin, the one thing in the world your mother most wants is a man out of you. Now, don't you give a damn about that. Her happiness. What do you think? I'll tell you what I think. I think the most worrying thing about you is that you haven't got a single friend, not one. Haven't I? Well, who? Come on, tell me, who? Wouldn't you like to know? And now it's about time I let you into a little secret. You mind? You can't send me anywhere. Can't I? No. I'm over 21. But it's bloody well time you acted like it. So I'm not going. But thanks for the offer. Well, you're not staying either. How about that? Here. You can try starting as I did. With 50 pounds. Let's see how far you get. Now, pack up. Go on. How much out of this house by tomorrow? Okay. And I may need this. Thanks, Dad. Tomorrow, you understand? Keep the change. Now, did you understand the joke on the button that Martin throws to his stepdad? Please tell me you have the secret. The secret to the button. I don't. I don't get it. This is so British, right? Like, I don't get this button. (laughs) It reads... You're going to be, okay, it's a yellow nondescript button with black bold text that just says, you're going to be dropped in the shh by you know who. (laughs) Being S-C-H-H-H. So Martin throws his stepdad this button at the end of this conversation. Uh, But then later the cops see it and they laugh about it too. So 
it at, there's some joke here, but I don't know what it is. This to me is the biggest mystery of the film, and it's I don't know why it's a button. Yeah, I don't know why it's a button either. He just had it in his pocket. <laughs> he just had it <laughs> out of his back pocket. He's like, "Hey, keep the change." <laughs> <laughs> there's there's lots of elements in this movie like that though, where it's like the implication I think is that he got this button earlier in the day somewhere. Like there's a backstory to this button. They just don't show it to us. And normal movies don't put that many of those things in because then you're, you have all these questions that are unresolved. And this movie doesn't seem to care about the unresolved questions. Even when you look at film synopses for twisted nerve, they ignore this button. (laughs) I cannot find the meaning for this button so if we have any british listeners or anyone who's familiar with this fucking button please let us know i I want mystery to be unraveled so i actually think the more important scene to talk about is the one right after this i could easily see watching this movie for the first time and kind of forgetting about this scene by the end but i think it might be really important for understanding Martin. So he goes up to his room and he plays a brooding variation on the theme on his piano. He takes this off his shirt and slowly rubs himself kind of self-consciously. And we see the camera pan over all these men's magazines with like athletic buff looking men on them. And then Martin throws something at the mirror and breaks it. And we see a shot of Martin standing in front of the mirror with all of the cracks, you know, blocking out his groin. What did you think this scene was about? Well, first off, clearly he did not throw anything at the mirror. This man's dick is so fire, the mirror shattered. Oh, I see. I misunderstood. Hey, man, there is another scene later in the movie where this man whips out his schlong and it literally takes somebody's breath away. (laughs) I don't know what this man is packing, but it is impressive. Yeah, it doesn't show us. No, it does not show us. Um, You know, my first thought was I was wondering if this guy was gay, but just a bunch of bodybuilding magazines. And uh, apparently he's a bodybuilder or he has aspirations of being a bodybuilder. He doesn't have that physique, but at the very least, he is um, taking care of himself. All right. So I'm I'm going to come out with the, the queer theory interpretation here, which oh. I seem to always do. Yep. All right. Go, go for it, man. All right. So I think there's two ways to interpret this scene. One is that he wants to have that bodybuilder body and he's dissatisfied with the way he appears now and he's upset. The second interpretation is this. He's gay and he is horrified by his own homosexuality. He doesn't know how to deal with it. And so breaking the mirror is a way of showing his self-hatred, right? He He hates his own desires. Now, how can he be normal, that is, engage in a relationship with a woman, well, he has to adopt this childlike persona because the only way he knows how to interact with a woman is the way he interacts with his mom, who's very overbearing and overprotective and does everything for him. 
So rather than seek a sexual relationship with a man, he seeks an infantile relationship with a woman by becoming Georgie. That's how I read this. That is a read of someone who has seen this movie three times. Does it make sense to you? Sure. I mean, I can, I can see the interpretation, but uh, I, I mean, hell, we've reached farther than that before. <laughs> it could certainly be the case. I, I would say, though, that script writing that complicated probably did not exist in 1968. Well, I could see. All right. There's a charitable interpretation, which is that somebody involved in the movie was trying to add a little bit more depth to this character by throwing in this like sexual frustration and self-hatred dynamic. The less charitable version is to say that this is a writer-director who wants to link mongolism with psychosis, with like mommy issues. Why not throw homosexuality in there? That can be a psychosis too. Like just one more thing to throw in the mix, you know? When we were comprising our best of lists, we uh, talked a little bit about pop psychology films and how the baby is the reigning king of them. Um, I, I would just say that this is just another entry in that pop psychology genre. Um, but instead of focusing on just one neurosis, they just kept shoving them all into the bag. Yeah. Shopping cart. They, just, they couldn't figure out which one they wanted to go with. Um, I think this film is probably a little bit more simpler in premise, though, and that this is just like a very lonely kid who met a girl that he thought was really hot and decided that the best way to um, to keep that connection going was to pretend to be a, you know, that simple, mentally stunted child that he can just milk for sympathy and attention. All right. Well, I have one more key to my interpretation, uh -huh. which is that several times we see Martin secretly reading the book Psychopathis Sexualis, which was one of the earliest books to consider homosexuality and the causes of homosexuality. I Wait. think he's self-doubting. What do you mean first book to consider it like from a scientific standpoint? So I'm 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 reading from Wikipedia here, 1886 book and one of the first texts about sexual pathology. The book details a wide range of paraphilias, but focuses on male homosexuality or bisexuality. They coined the terms sadism and masochism, as well as borrowing the term bisexual from botany for the book. Is that really the source of? The term bisexual? I guess so. It goes on to say it's notable for being one of the earliest works on homosexuality. Kraft Ebbing combined Carl Ehrlich's Ernig theory with Benedict Morel's theory of disease and concluded that most homosexuals have a mental illness caused by degenerative her heredity. The book was controversial at the time, arousing the anger of the church in particular. What so, year did this book come out? 1886. Oh, shit. All right. So now I'm quite convinced of my interpretation. I'd imagine that this book probably still had a reputation of being um, 
notorious in 1968. So maybe they're just throwing the book in there because, again, this is like supermarket shopping spree, but with neuroses. And they're just like, hey, we'll just throw this book in there with it. There are these moments in the movie where where Martin is sexually aggressive towards Susan. Like he tries to force himself on her, force her to kiss him. And it's really awkward and clumsy. And you could interpret that again as like he is attracted to Susan and he does just doesn't know how to handle it. Or you could look at it as he's trying to force it, right? He's trying to want this, but really he has these gay desires that are frustrating and scaring him. Yeah, but I don't think he needs to be gay or like in denial of his homosexuality in order to have a motivation to force this relationship, right? He could just be like the incel trying to make it out of the pit. I suppose. Anyway, there is a lot of pop psychology going on here. And I guess my larger point is that I understand why people see it as politically incorrect and offensive and problematic. But I also find it interesting and entertaining in kind of a campy way. Like I like it the same reason I like reading conspiracy theories, even when I don't believe them. I'm just interested in what on earth people were thinking in the 1960s that they were going to link homosexuality with psychosis, with Mongolism, and imply that there was some genetic link in the family and talk about, you know, messed up chromosomes. Like, I just find it really interesting for some reason. I, I think there you can probably shed light on this. There's a term in um, academia for... Um, professors or just like individuals in general people who are so desperate to make a name in whatever field of research that they're trying to make it that they kind of just sort of develop something just to have it developed so they can write a paper on it and be like hey this is my theory and then they just push it really hard right other people try to co-write it and then that's how it gains traction it could be something like that where people found out, oh, hey, you know, um, your brain is the reason why you do this shit and it's not necessarily free will. All right, well, let's kind of find a bunch of reasons to, you know, find out why people's behavior is fucked up and not fitting in with our society. To a ton of theses, thesis statements and shit. Anyway, uh, I would say I would warrant that if you are sensitive about any of those issues and for some reason you're still listening to this podcast maybe avoid this one but let's talk so on point with our trigger warnings oh i know yeah we're very reactive here you know we're just trying to keep up with these movies because there's a lot to talk about let's talk about susan's mom so Susan's mom is the one who has this house where they have multiple boarders who are, you know, renting rooms there. And so Georgie becomes one of them. What do you think her feelings to Georgie are? Yo, Susan's mom sees Georgie and his act. And I think her immediate feeling is like, I do not want to be responsible for an adult child. Right. Because that's what she's dealing with. Who who does want that responsibility? I mean, I, I guess that's also uh, the dilemma of 
you know, his brother who has Down syndrome, where his parents want nothing to do with him. And so they put him in a facility where no one can see him. This is a woman who has no relation to this kid. So she, you know, morally doesn't really feel like she has an obligation to, to care for Georgie. So just get him the fuck out. It's not like I have a room to give him anyway. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely see that. But I'm not, a part of me thinks that she suspects him from the beginning. Like she gives him these looks where it almost looks like she's saying, are you for real? Like you're really trying to trick us with this shit. And either she's won over and she eventually like believes the act or she decides she doesn't care. And I think part of it is a willful denial. I don't think she knew on day one, but once he is established, then you can definitely tell that she has suspicions. But once she sees him mowing the lawn without his shirt on, her inner cougar just comes out and takes over any other rational thought. It's really strange because on the one hand, she seems to desire him sexually. On the other, she seems excited that she has a child to take care of again because her children have moved out. I didn't get that impression. Where'd that come from? Uh, I'm trying to remember the dialogue. Before he kills her, when they're in the shed, and she's kind of putting her hand on him, and she's saying some things that made me think she saw him as a child, even though she's speaking, like, you know, sexily. Still at it, Georgie. You are working hard. Be careful, that's very sharp. I've just put the kettle on. Come and have a cup of tea. Where's Susan got to? London. I've got a surprise for you, Georgie. Guess who phoned? Daddy. Isn't she coming back? Susan? She didn't say it. Georgie, you've cut yourself. Oh, you poor boy. Where's your handkerchief? What did she say? You better come up to my room and let me see. What did she say? She say, say. About the Dernleys. Well, Martin, that was his first name. I've just remembered. Who is he, Georgie? Hmm? Who is he, this Martin? I wonder if he's anything to do with that murder. His name was Dernley. What is it? You're trembling. It's all right. Tell Mummy all about it. So she isn't necessarily talking sexily, but during this entire scene, she is uh, rubbing her hand across his uh, sweat-glistened body. And, and she says she, like, he needs to come to her room so she can take care of it. Yeah, I mean, from the start, she's trying to get him to come inside the house because she is in her, uh, she's in like in a, a negligee or like a night robe or something. So she's like all ready to go. Honestly, man, if this kid had a good head on his shoulders, he would have completely forgot about Susan and just made it with this mom and he would have been set. That's all he had to do. 
Do you think there's an element of blackmail in that scene where she's hinting that he she knows he's Martin and he better comply with her? I think there is something subtle like that going on, but it's, that would in, that would indicate though that she is completely aware that this shit is an act. Because otherwise why would you try to blackmail a child with you know no serious reasoning capabilities? I think she's trying to say to him, I know this is all an act and I like it. Oh. I think she's trying to say, like, I like this mommy little boy dynamic and you can keep pretending. But like, I know it, it, she thinks it's ero- erotic, whereas for him, it's just a disguise. That's what I think is going on. But it's weird because on the one hand, I'm I'm drawing this distinction a lot this episode. It's like this movie is schlocky and offensive and it simplifies psychology and it's, it's border bordering like a lot of the eugenics nonsense that was around mid century. Um, And I can see it coming out of that, you know, pool of offensive bile, but at the same time, it seems really complex and deep and psychological, like maybe not, maybe not realistically but there's so much that seems to be going on with each character there's so it, it like every scene i feel like i could read or interpret in many different ways like i might think uh, your your overarching theories are reaching a little bit but i think you're spot on here and i don't think i realized the um the the full extent of this scene until you mentioned that so let's talk about Georgie's or Martin's mom then what what do you think her motivations are she is just striving to have like the most normal life and imaginable for her income bracket all she wants is for Georgie to not be abnormal and she tells Susan who um you know eventually becomes a detective and seeks her out that she is overjoyed. She was overjoyed when Georgie was born or when Martin was born, that she felt him like his body and, you know, his feet were normal. His face was normal. Everything was as it should be. And his mom is just trying to hold on to that. Yeah. At, at one point when she's talking with um, she's talking with Susan, who's kind of snooping, you know, she takes great offense when Susan asks if Martin's retarded or backwards. And then later, Susan tells her her sort of boyfriend, who is a, a doctoral student, I think, that... Her. What? Not her boyfriend. That's just a guy that lives in the house. Okay, so... Oh, okay, he is... So he is the roommate. Yeah, yeah. He's one of the, the guys in the boarding house. I couldn't figure out if he actually was staying there or if he just came to visit her sometimes uh no he lives there the occupants of this house are susan because she's there for the holiday her mother the i don't know what he is a producer of some guy in the film industry and then this guy who's in college to be a doctor studying to be a doctor yeah his name is sashi yeah I mean, we do see her walking with Sashi at the start of the film um, when Martin is following Susan to work at the library. 
and uh he actually asks if you know if she is seeing him and she says no it's just a housemate yeah i sense that there was something brewing between the two of them what if i thought they were going to get together he actually has like a boyfriend figure though in the film yeah it's it's strange she breaks up with him yeah because he sucks he did he really sucked i mean he um, also called out georgie and was right about it but he sucked before that yeah although i thought she was kind of mean to him about it she, she didn't really say anything she was just kind of like yeah you should leave now like maybe that's just like a british way of breaking up i don't know Anyway, during in this scene when she's talking to Sashi, she says that Martin's mother was overbearing his entire life because she was searching for every sign of Mongolism because one in every hundred siblings have some kind of psychotic condition. That's what the doctor who's lecturing says. So I apparently there was something where the mother just was desperate to catch if there was any sign. I don't know, would she have sent him to an institution like his brother? If he looked like his brother, then yes. Mm. Everyone in this movie is superficial as fuck. Oh, yeah. It, it, to some degree, that's why I didn't really care what happened and why I think I was a little bored through parts of it is because everybody sucks. <laughs> so I guess Susan is okay. Like, I kind of sympathize with Susan. Like... She's really just doing what she feels is in like the moral, the morally right choice, right? And watching after this helpless kid who didn't choose this lot in life. And that's it. That's, that's all she's trying to do during this film. I don't know if that makes her a two dimensional character, but I don't think it's unreasonable to, you know, expect someone in her position to act otherwise. Like, Maybe she's only doing this because he doesn't look like he has Down syndrome, but we can't make that call. We can't make that judgment call. We can just assume. I'd like to think she would just send him right back out into the rain if that was the case, or it, or actually it wouldn't even have gotten that far. It would have um it would have stopped at the library when he showed up. Yeah, if if the greatest sin in a movie is being boring, then I think Susan is just as bad as the rest of the characters. But it, yeah, she's just boring. One thing, I know this is random, but did you notice that the other doctors call Sashi Maharaja? Yes. That's like totally unacceptable, right? I'm pretty sure some, I'm, it might have even been Martin, at some point calls, uh, calls him black, even though he's clearly Indian. Yeah. But I don't think it's done, uh, I don't think it's done under the guise of the whole Georgie thing. I think it's it's said as if those two things are equivalent. So do you want to talk about when Martin confronts Susan in the bedroom? I think we need to talk about something else that we have uh, definitely ignored so far. And, and that is um, Martin's body count, right? Because this movie, as you can tell from the trailer, is supposed to be like a, a psychological thriller. Yeah. About a murderer, right? But yeah. so far, We've only talked about Martin killing the mom. Did we even mention that? Yeah. Um, okay. But we didn't, we didn't go into detail. He kills her with an axe, right? A hatchet. A hatchet, yeah. Uh, which is after she 
after he saws his hand and she says, oh, let me get your handkerchief. And she reaches into his pant pocket and it looks like she's going to finger him or something. And then she slowly pulls it back out. Was it was it supposed to be sexual? Yeah, because I mean, he's, she's reached her hand into his pocket. You know? Yeah. So anyway, so then she's shocked to be hit with the hatchet instead. But yeah, that is one of his murders. Right. But we're not talking about the big one that starts this movie off about a quarter of the way through. He is really kind of sold in the beginning of this film as some sort of man with a plan. Like, you know, the ingenious psychopath where, yeah, he doesn't go to Australia. Instead, he makes it look like he took his father's money and the passport and instead decided to fuck off to France. But it turns out that was just a diversion because he stayed in town to become the Georgie persona and pursue Susan by being by acting mentally ill. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is like some like 12th level pickup artist bullshittery here. Like I just don't under who thought of this shit. I mean, obviously, I know who thought of it because it's in the credits. Idea by and whoever the fuck we need to blame for this. But who's like, you know what? What if we had a story where a man meets a girl and then to win over her heart, he pretends to be retarded and then kills his father? <laughs> it is bonkers, batshit crazy. Um, but I was. I was going back and forth throughout on how much of it I thought was premeditated and how much of it was just Martin doing what made sense in the moment. Well, this definitely felt very premeditated because while he is pretending to be in France, he takes that opportunity to show up back at his house and stab his father to death with a pair of scissors. Yeah, he. It, there's a whole moment where he almost gets caught sneaking out and he goes and commits the murder and then gets back in bed yeah we're definitely not covering everything in this film because again it's like two hours long but he does murder his father i am a little dumbfounded that this man of this income bracket pulls into his garage gets out of his car to find someone else closing the garage door and he's just like oh who's there he's very very calm very calm. <laughs> and even when he realizes it's Martin, he, I think, I think you would either be more confused or you would be really alarmed that I you're alarmed, but I yeah. was, you know, I'm watching a film. So yeah, but no, he doesn't act alarmed at all. And, and other than that, other than that, he doesn't kill anyone, right? Yeah. So he only, there only two people die in this whole film yeah i mean there was really startling because i expected this movie to end in a bloodbath like i yeah. thought the housemates were gonna die the mom was gonna die and then he was gonna maybe die in a police shootout or something like i thought i was gonna get nuts but it doesn't happen i thought so too did did it felt like there were a lot of strands of this movie especially the brother that just went unresolved that the movie never picked back up yeah but where would you fit it in there's like again hour 53 minutes of movie here yeah but there's a lot of footage where 
Susan and Georgie are just like swimming or running through the trees or. Oh, that seems important, though, because that is when he uh, reveals himself <laughs> to, to Susan after they're done swimming. And she's just like, oh, my. Like she stops dead in her tracks. Yeah. Yeah, this is a mere cracking dong that he is slinging here. But But you do not need to spend as much time as this movie does on all of that stuff. It's just it just slows down and it makes it feel as if he's been there for a month instead of, you know, a week. I mean, he was there for longer than a week, right? Well, he was going to be staying for two weeks, I think. Yeah, and then those two weeks passed. and No, because the dad called and said that he decided to take him early when uh, that he thought he needed a vacation and he was going to come join him in France. Hmm. That was after... So that, of course, is Martin faking that call. But that was after she rejected his advance, um, you know, in the park. At the end, though, when, when he wants to get married to her, and he forces her to put on uh, just a dress um, so she looks nice for their wedding. And he seems absolutely stunned when she rejects him. Like, he thought that even though she, he was forcing her with a gun, that she would somehow, I guess, warm up to it. Like, what do you think he thought? At this point, it's just all desperation. I don't think there's any logic to be found. He's having a psychotic breakdown. Yeah. I mean, he's trying to make out with her and she really digs the skin off his cheek with her fingernails while Sashi is downstairs calling the police. And that's the moment where he seems to like his bubble bursts, I guess. And he says that Susan's just like all the rest that I, I by which I guess he means women, that they're all the same. The Martin's mom made it seem like there had been other women who had issues taken care of. And I assume she meant got, gotten abortions. And she thought that that's why Susan was there. But Martin doesn't really strike me as the type who like got lots of girls pregnant. I don't remember that one offline, but I don't know. Yeah, that's during the conversation between Martin's mom and Susan. And it's before Susan walks out or starts to walk out, um, she's like, you know, if if something is the matter, it wouldn't be the first time and we got taken care of before. Hmm. But anyway, it just maybe he like has degenerated where he was a more mature, normal functioning person and he sort of devolved into what he is now. I could buy that, but the script doesn't really allude to it. There's tons of things we haven't even gotten into. Like there's a drunk lodger that lives with them. There's rip, there's a motif about saying Lord's Prayer that I don't really understand. Like there's all these elements we're not hitting because there's just every moment of this movie is jam-packed with if it's not actual action on screen it's some sort of weird insinuation or tangent there oh there was one scene i wanted to ask about um this is when martin has susan at gunpoint 
and he makes her sit down on the side of the bed and like poses her legs perfectly. And then he starts to tell her about some sexual dream he had. But then we start to hear Martin's mother's voice overlaid on top. And we hear her talking to Susan about how the doctor said he wasn't a Mongol and that she wanted to keep him precious like a baby forever. Why do you think we get that voiceover at that point? You know, this this is actually how you know Susan's character is genuine, like as far as being concerned for Georgie, not Martin, because she has just been accosted by the psychopath, is now being held hostage at gunpoint, no less. And while this guy is going on a, you know, fucking lunatic rant, all she can think about is just how devastated his mother would be to find out that Martin is like this. Yeah. She is looking at him as if he is this like messed up kid and he is a messed up kid. He's just not the messed up kid he was playing to be. Yeah. It's, it's actually kind of fascinating that he has one psychological disorder and he's pretending to have a different one. This is probably one of the best scenes in the movie to me because you know, if this movie was trying to be more exploitative, they would have just had him going and saying some violent sex dream, pulling out organs or whatever, and instead they take this route. This route. I actually wondered if they had him say something really horrible and exploitive, and it was just too much, and that's why they dubbed over it. But I don't know. But what really got me about this scene is after the police break in and like pull him off her, we see her standing sort of glued in the corner with her arm stretched out like she's been crucified. And she she seems genuinely traumatized, like genuinely in shock. And I think it's actually really good acting. It's a really powerful scene. And all of the police and the other people showing up just ignore her. Nobody checks to see if she's okay. <laughs> I was just I was just gobsmacked by that. Well, they have to secure the scene before they make sure she's okay. I guess. they all. It takes like six of them to carry. We see them carrying Georgie through the house and out to the police car. Nobody attends to Susan. Anyway, I think we should wrap up. So is that a good place to go to final thoughts? I can't think of anything else I'd specifically want to talk about. So I suppose so. All right, so that is a good moment to go to final thoughts and a rating out of four. So Twisted Nerve, the, the longest film we have seen to date. Have we looked at other British cinema so far? Was Asylum of Satan British? It no. wasn't. This might be our first British film. Wow. All right, so Twisted Nerve, 1968, both the longest film we have reviewed and... The first British film, unless uh, unless I'm mistaken, this was my first watch. And so most of my viewing experience was focused on Georgie's or Martin's myth, like methodology and like planning and strategy for what he was trying to do, because it's not very clear at the start of the film. Like, yeah, you, you can quickly infer that he is acting mentally ill in order to garner sympathy and get into 
like develop a relationship with this girl that he's infatuated with, but you're not quite sure what the end game is going to be because how do you convert something like this into not just a stable relationship, but any relationship whatsoever? Like on one hand, he is rational enough to devise a first degree murder plot where he pretends to be in one place of the world while actually staying at home and, and pulling off a, a murder. I mean, he eventually does get found out, so maybe he didn't plan it the best, but it doesn't feel like there's a plan here ultimately when it comes to Susan, because it gets to the end and things just fall apart. Like uh, Luke was saying earlier, he forces himself on her very suddenly when they're, enjoying themselves in the forest and it just doesn't go as planned and in martin's mind i guess that was just supposed to be the point where he won that was his victory because at this point he had gotten rid of all of her suitors Mm -hmm. just him and her and it still didn't happen so at this point he had no plan b he wasn't planning on susan's mom being a cougar and so once uh once the train missed its stop it went off the rails and he had no control. If you view the movie in that lens, I suppose you could say everything makes sense. Whether or not it's believable is a completely different story. Um, obviously, scientifically, what's going on with Georgie is uh, not a thing. It's just not a thing, <laughs> to put it lightly. <laughs> but that's not why you're watching this film. That's not why you're watching these pop psychology films. So uh, you really can put that out of your mind. I could see being offended by this at the time, at the time it came out, trying to take this seriously, but now, not a chance. Not a chance in hell. There's no way you can take this film seriously, right, Luke? It's hard. Hard. I mean, but don't get me wrong. It's fun to watch. This is, this is a great first watch, I can say. Um, I, can't, I can't tell you if it's going to be good on repeat viewings, but if you've never seen this film before and you go in for the mystery ride, it's great. Because again, it's there's no indication how things are going to unfold. That said, I am a little disappointed that it didn't end in a bloodbath. Maybe that's more of a problem with me than with the film. You know, expecting absolutely crazy finales because of the other things we cover on this podcast. So I'm trying not to hold that against the film. Although I think it would have made it better. Because, you know, just lay it on. Lay the exploitation on at that point. You've already established that, you know, this man's chromosomes are making him psychotic you might as well make it a like super psychopathy while you're at it right for one view i would say this is like a three-star film all right so in terms of the the like technical side of this movie i think it's well directed i think it's well acted pretty much across the board with performances ranging from like good to great Uh, i think it has a incredible music music score that's you know become iconic thanks to quentin tarantino and and so had a much longer life than the movie. I think that all of the problems that this movie have has come from the script because there's all these weird tangents and insinuations and inferences and like plot points that don't get resolved. And it it makes the movie kind of frustrating because there's not one central story that you care about like there are so many directions i would have been more interested in the movie going but it didn't go that that way um and so it just feels unresolved uh like the 
the fact that it implies Martin's brother is some sort of major influence or character in his life, and then we never see him again for two hours is strange. And it's a strange creative decision. With that said, I think that this movie has really interesting, like there's an interesting queer reading here. There's an interesting Oedipal reading here and like just pop psychological angle. Are all of those interpretations kind of offensive? Yeah. I mean, they kind of insinuate that people with Down syndrome somehow inspire siblings who become psychotic murderers or someone struggling with their sexuality becomes a psychotic murderer. Like whichever way you read it, the movie's not saying anything nice or accurate, but I still find it interesting. I I like these kinds of movies where you've got to figure out what's going on with the characters and there's no one interpretation. We can AP literature this shit. So I'm going to give this movie two and a half. I remembered it more fondly than I experienced at this viewing. Is that really a fault of the film if it's only good for like one viewing? I don't know. Like sometimes a movie like this can seem complicated on first viewing. And then when you watch afterwards, you're like, oh, it wasn't complicated. It was just like sloppy and obtuse or you know, like you start seeing what what initially seems really smart comes to seem like a flaw. And that's kind of how I feel about this movie. But I still like it. I, I imagine I'll probably watch it again and, and and enjoy it. I just I think it's definitely problematic. All right. So that's it for Twisted Nerve. You can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares where I post everything we do. Leland, any last words? Thank you for your continued support. And thank you for listening. Thank you.